0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show We begin with this evening's presentation Edmund O'Brien as the insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar Full name of the show, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. A radio drama about a fabulous freelance insurance investigator with the action-packed expense account. The show aired on CBS Radio from January 14th of 1949 through to September 30th of 1962. Pretty good run. Uh, Each story starts with a phone call from an insurance executive calling on Johnny to investigate an unusual claim. Of course, each story required Johnny to travel some distance usually within the states, but sometimes abroad, where he was almost always threatened with personal danger in the course of his investigations. Each story was recounted in flashback, as Johnny listed each line item in his expense account. Now, most of the items related to transportation and lodging, but no incidental expense was too small for Johnny to itemize. Johnny usually stuck to business, but would engage in romantic dalliances with women he encountered in his travels. Later episodes gave Johnny a steady girlfriend, Betty Lewis. Johnny's precious recreational time was usually spent fishing, and it was not uncommon for Johnny's clients to exploit this favorite pastime in convincing him to take on a job. The episodes generally finished with Johnny tallying up his account, making final remarks on the report, and then traveling back to Hartford, Connecticut, where he was based. Tonight, Johnny goes to Jamaica to investigate the death of an insured, only to find that the police have already declared the death a murder.
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Inspector Trabert returning your call, sir.
3: Oh, yes, Inspector. Thanks very much. I wonder when I could talk with you about the Hannibal Murphy death.
2: Well, at your pleasure, sir. Do I understand you've come all the way from the States?
3: Yes, the news broke yesterday, and his insurance company thought I'd better. The reports weren't quite clear on whether or not it was accidental.
2: Then you haven't heard.
3: Only that he somehow fell off a cliff.
2: Oh, then I hope you'll pardon my being a bit nonplussed at your timely arrival. Mr. Murphy's death was definitely not accidental. Examination this morning revealed a bullet wound in his head. <laughs> Edmund O'Brien, in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance
3: investigator. Yours truly, Johnny
4: Dollar.
3: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Plymouth Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Hannibal Murphy matter. Expense account item one, $264.80, airfare and incidentals between Hartford and Kingston, island of Jamaica. After checking into the Myrtle Bank Hotel and reporting my phone to the British Constabulary, I went over late that morning and met the officer in charge.
2: Well, Mr. Dollar, it's a pleasure to have you here.
3: Thank you, Inspector Trevor. Although
2: news of the death of one of your countrymen is hardly the kind of invitation I should like to send you.
3: If it hadn't been Mr. Murphy, I probably would have been invited to a murder someplace else. It's a popular pastime. What do you know about the Murphys, Inspector? I understand he's survived by a widow.
2: Yeah, there's a brother also, Paul Murphy, and a stepdaughter, Felice. Oh, I didn't know
3: about them. You mean they're all here in Kingston?
2: Yes, the brother has lived here for the past two years, has a cottage just outside town. The deceased and his family were visiting him. Had been here for two months.
3: Anyone else? Two
2: servants, an old cook and a young man who has rather general duties.
3: Do you have any kind of a theory,
2: Inspector? Since the fact of the murder was proved only this morning, no. Except that it was murder, the position of the wound in the head rules out suicide.
3: Any suspicions then?
2: Uh, No, none that I wish to voice at the moment. Perhaps you'd like to visit the scene of the crime, or rather the point from which the body fell into the sea.
3: Thanks, Inspector, I would like most british police officers he was playing it close to the vest but on the way he did let me know that he considered the murphys including the surviving brother to be people who had been spoiled by too much money were completely selfish and quite possibly could be hated by a number of people after a drive of a few minutes we left the car and crossed through a strip of shaded parkway to a bridle path that paralleled the cliffs some hundred feet in height. At the bottom, breakers piled in against the jumble of coral and
2: rocks. Here we are. We wrote the section off in case we might learn something from the marks, though I doubt we will. There you see, on the edge, the torn earth and the broken branches. Yeah, his body was found alone. Huh? Yes, it was discovered by a young islander who was searching for shellfish at an early morning low tide. You said the Murphy Cottage wasn't far away. Can you see it from here? No, it's beyond the trees there. The path turns inland before it reaches the grove.
3: Does this cliff run near their place? Yes.
2: I believe so that you and I share a common bewilderment.
3: If his killer met him here, why shoot him if he could have been pushed over the cliff and killed that way? Huh? Precisely. We
2: should have had a devil of a time proving it was murder at
3: all. Unless the killer wasn't strong enough to get him over while he was alive. Like a woman.
2: That possibility that does present itself, doesn't it? Yet if he'd been shot and fallen here, then dragged to the edge, there would have been signs. But there are none. No bloodstains. Nothing. Yeah. So unless he was shot somewhere else and carried here... We must visualize the victim and the killer standing side by side on the sheer edge of the precipice, gazing out to sea a moment before the shot was fired.
3: Can we go to the house now?
2: I had planned to wait until I had a more complete report from ballistics, but please feel free to pay them a visit if you wish to.
3: Thanks, Inspector. I should let them know I'm here.
2: Uh, Very good. Uh, Come along. I'll drop you by.
3: theory that Murphy was shot someplace else had holes in it, too, that the idea was to dispose of the body. Why dump it so close to his home? The mail servant answered my knock, told me Mrs. Murphy was resting, and left me on the veranda while he went to find out if she'd see me. A few seconds after he'd gone, I met another member of the household, the daughter, a plain girl with short hair, gangling figure, and troubled eyes. What's
5: the matter?
6: Didn't he let you in?
3: He thought I'd better wait out here. What do you want? I came to see Mrs. Murphy.
6: About what happened?
3: Yeah, I'm afraid so.
6: My name is Felice. I'm her daughter. I can let you in. Oh, thanks. You're an American, aren't you?
3: That's right. My name is Dollar.
6: You've come here because of what happened to my stepfather. Why did you?
3: I was sent by his insurance company in the States.
6: Oh, I'd forgotten about that. I suppose he left a lot. He always did everything so handsomely. It was in an accident, you know. He was murdered. Somebody shot him.
3: Yes, I know that. I
6: suppose that there will be all sorts of trouble now. Police will come and ask all kinds of questions.
3: Well, things like this are never pleasant. Are you worried about answering questions?
6: Of course not. Why should I be?
3: It's just the way you mentioned it.
6: Well, I'm not. I'll tell them everything I know and everything I thought about him. I'm not ashamed. I had a right to hate him. Felice, Stop it. Stop talking that way. It's you're not... Every awful thing that ever happened to me is his fault. He was filthy rotten. Stop it. Go to your room. All right, I'll go. But you won't be able to send me away when the police come. I'll tell them. Get out of here. Yes, Mother. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. She really doesn't mean what she says. I'm terribly sorry.
3: You don't have to be, Mrs. Murphy.
6: But an outburst like that to a perfect stranger, I don't know what you must think.
3: I think she's a pretty upset young woman.
6: But she has no right to be. She's been an extremely difficult child. I don't know what else to say to you. I'm terribly ashamed for her. Now, would you come into the drawing room? Thank you. Please, sit down. You are an insurance investigator, Mr. Dollar?
3: Yes, And if you feel up to it, I'd like to get as clear a picture as I can of what happened the night your husband was killed.
6: I imagine that I shall have to put up with it, shan't I?
3: Sooner or later, yes. It probably would have been easier if your husband's brother were here to take part of the responsibility.
6: Oh, he went to make arrangements for flying my husband home. I'm not sure when he'll be back, but I'll help all I can. All
3: right. First, Mrs. Murphy... Do you have any idea who could have killed your husband?
6: Not the faintest idea, Mr. Dollar.
3: You'd been here in Kingston for two months. Is that right? Yes. Could your husband have made any enemies during that time? Did he mention anything like that?
6: No, he mentions nothing. We've been about very little. We only met a few people. Some of Paul's friends. But he couldn't have made any enemies.
3: Who was here the other night?
6: No one but Hannibal and Paul and Felice and I. And the servants, of course.
3: Did your husband leave the house?
6: Yes, of course, he did. It's quite a strange question, Mr. Dollar, considering where he was found.
3: I'm sorry. Why did he leave?
6: Paul said he was going to take a walk. He was in the house when I went to my room.
3: What time was that?
6: Little past ten. Paul retired a short time later, and you remembered that Hannibal said he wasn't sleepy. Perhaps he would take a walk.
3: And I take it your daughter had gone to bed, too? Yes. Do you mind if I talk to her now?
6: Oh, I'd rather you didn't. Why? Do you suspect her?
3: I didn't say that. Do you?
6: Of course not. Mother would hardly suspect her own daughter.
3: Why don't you want me to
6: talk to her? Because she's a poor, unbalanced girl who's filled with warped hates and misunderstandings. She'll say dreadful things about Hannibal. And about me. Things that are absolutely not true.
3: She'll have to be questioned, Mrs. Murphy. Of
6: course I realize that. Well, there's nothing more I can say. I'll show you to her room.
3: But Felice wasn't in her room. I found her waiting for me on the bridal trail along the cliff. She'd been crying.
6: I heard her say you were an investigator and I wanted to talk to you again. I knew I couldn't and passed, so I waited here.
3: Hmm, glad you did.
6: I don't know what's the matter with me. I shouldn't have said what I did. I meant it when I said it, but I don't.
3: I don't think I know quite what you mean.
6: I'm awfully mixed up. A doctor tried to explain it to me. When my real father died, my mother was all I had. And when he came along, I thought he was stealing her from me. I thought I didn't, didn't have anything anymore.
3: How long ago was that?
6: been three years I was 14 when they were married but he did take her away they chucked me into an old school and went off on a trip I know he didn't do it just to hurt me but at night it would seem to me that he did I tried to get over it but I never could that's why I'm glad he's dead
3: it's not a very wise thing to say Felice
6: I can't help it
3: do you have anything else you wanted to tell me
6: no I wanted to explain why I acted the way I did in the house. I don't suppose you understand.
3: Part of it, I think I do. Quite a few children have to adjust themselves as step-parents these days. It's tough, and some do it better than others.
6: I haven't done it well at all. Now I won't have to try anymore. I am sorry for the way I acted. I want to help you everywhere I can.
3: How do you think you can help me?
6: I'm not sure yet. But when I am, I'll let you know.
3: All right, Felice, I'll be talking to you again. I didn't know then what this strange, mixed-up girl was driving at. I got the impression that she wanted to talk more than she had. But I was fairly sure the way to bring it out was to wait rather than press it too hard. I checked in with Inspector Trader, and his reactions were about the same as mine. On the strength of them, he called Paul Murphy into his office... That afternoon. The last time I saw him was when I went to bed. We'd had a drink together and he said he wasn't sleepy and thought he might take a walk.
2: Do you know how long after that he might have left the house?
3: No, I'm sorry, I don't. I was dead tired. I went right to sleep.
2: Was he in the habit of taking walks at night? Sometimes, yeah.
3: But you didn't hear a shot?
2: No, I didn't hear anything. How much time passed, would you say, between the time you left him and the time you were asleep?
3: Oh, not more than 15 minutes, Inspector. Uh,
2: then he couldn't have left the house before, say, uh, quarter past 11.
3: Yes, that'll be about it. And you're sure he didn't say anything about meeting anyone? He simply said he might take a walk. I'm not quite sure that I understand the importance of these
2: questions. Uh, the importance sir, is this. Your brother was killed by a twenty-five caliber pistol fired at quite close range. I'm afraid we must assume that if he did not meet anyone, somebody either accompanied him or followed him. You mean you suspect someone in my house? We're only stating the facts. Someone was with your brother. We've ruled out the possibility of a robbery motive since both you and the widow have stated that none of his personal effects are missing.
3: You can see how the thing narrows down, Mr. Murphy? Yes, I can. I don't know what to say.
2: Do you mean that you suspect someone? No, no, I don't.
3: If you do, Mr. Murphy, it would be to your advantage to come out with it. I'm afraid the duty of making accusations is yours, not mine.
2: A commendable statement, sir, as long as you don't mean that you're withholding information.
3: I'm not. I have no information at all.
2: Very well, Mr. Murphy. You may go.
3: When Paul Murphy left, we both felt that he, too, was holding back. That it would be a long time before he offered any information. But we were only half right. He phoned the office a few minutes after he had reached home. Yes?
2: Have you called in your own doctor? Oh, Dr. Drummond, yes, I know him. Now we'll send one immediately and come out ourselves. Yes, thank you very much, Mr. Murphy. Well, the stepdaughter attempted suicide.
3: How serious?
2: Mr. Murphy was quite beside himself, and it was hard to know. What did she do? Slashed her wrists, a method that is rather really successful... The question is, why did she do it?
3: We will return you to yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Later this evening, the gangbusters give a graphic illustration of what happens when the police hunt a criminal who is a perfectionist. When a gang leader leaves no stone unturned to commit the perfect crime... There's a rough manhunt ahead for the police. Here are the exciting developments when you tune in Gangbusters later this evening on most of these same CBS radio stations. Now, with our star Edmund O'Brien, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Inspector Traber and I went right out to the Murphy residence, but were held back from Felice's room by both a private and an official physician. The latter was the last to leave her room.
2: And, Doctor, how is she? You can see her now. As you might expect, she's in a highly emotional state. Yes. Oh, this is Mr. Dollar, Dr.
3: Gurley. How do you do, sir? Dr. Gurley, is she going to be all right? Oh, yes, I think so. You didn't do a very good job of it, I... I think she needs a good psychiatrist. A very good one. She's evidently needed one for a long time. she say anything to you? No, nothing specific. Only that she hates everyone. Well, I wish you luck, gentlemen. I've got to run. Uh,
2: thank you, girlie.
3: Bye, Doctor. Good day. Well. Yeah.
2: Uh, Miss Murphy, we've been told we could see you.
6: Don't call me Miss Murphy. That's not my name and it never has been.
2: Hello, Felice.
6: Hello, Mr. Dollar. Who is he?
2: You remember me, Inspector Trabert. I spoke to you
6: yesterday. I hardly remember yesterday. I hardly remember anything I don't want to. I want to forget.
2: What do you want to forget?
6: Everything. My whole life. It's been a waste. Nothing's been right. I hate her. Please, Miss... I don't care. I'm going to tell the truth. What is the truth? They killed him. My mother and Paul—I saw it all happening.
2: You were a witness to the killing. I
6: saw what was happening
2: here.
6: I saw what was happening in England last summer. First, I was glad. I thought he'd go away and I'd never see him again. Felice. When we came here, I knew it if it weren't for him, it would be somebody else. I knew it would never stop.
3: Felice, hold it. Slow down.
2: I'm afraid you'll have to be more specific, young lady. Do you mean that the marriage between your mother and stepfather was not a happy one?
6: It started last summer in England. I was getting tired of him. I heard them fighting and calling one another names. They tried to hide it from me because they knew it would make me happy. But I heard them. She wanted to divorce him. He wouldn't let her.
3: What happened the other night, Felice?
6: I knew what was happening here, too. I heard them arguing the other night after they sent me to my room. Then I heard Mother go to her room. Then they left the house.
3: Your stepfather and Paul left the house? Yes. Did you see them leave? Yes.
6: And then I heard the shot.
3: What time did you hear it? Do you remember? Yes,
6: I remember. It was quarter past eleven. I remember because I was lying in bed, awake. And when I heard it, I sat up and I turned on my lamp. And I looked at the clock. Then I turned the lamp off again and went to the window. And in a little while, I saw Paul come back alone.
3: Why haven't you told us this before, Felice?
6: I don't know. It was awfully mixed up. She's my mother. At first, I thought I should protect her. When I thought of everything she'd done to me. She never wanted me. She threw me away. She's never been a real mother. I've always hated her. That's why I'm telling you. Because I hate her and I want her to be punished for everything.
2: I shall expect you to repeat this in the form of a sworn statement, Miss Felice.
6: I will, but you've got to take me away from here now. I can't stay here. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what they'll do. (laughs)
3: was moved to the police hospital and later that day repeated her statement under oath. But about the time she was doing that, there was another development. Inspector Trabert received a call from the proprietor of a second-hand shop that specialized in fishing tackle and
2: guns. Uh, after you, sir.
5: Good afternoon. Are you Mr. Innes? I am. Inspector Trabert. Oh, I thought you were police when you came in. This is Mr. Dollar, an American investigator. How do you do, sir?
3: I'm glad to meet you, Mr. and We want to thank you for phoning about the gun.
5: Well, I thought it was my duty. I've, uh, I've been reading about the murder, and when this chap came in here to sell me a pistol what was the same caliber as the missing weapon, I said to myself, you ought to the phone and tell the police.
2: Could we see the pistol, please?
5: I've got it right here behind the case. Here we are. Uh, wait a moment. Have you handled it much? Handle it? Of course I've handled it. I had to look it over before I paid him for it. If this is the murder weapon, I'd like to protect any fingerprints
2: that might remain. Uh, l- let me pick it up.
4: Hmm.
5: A Webley, Mr. Dollar.
3: And it's been in England.
5: Would you recognize the man who brought it in, Mr. Ennis? I think so. There's not much trade in guns here, you know. Fishing gear, mostly. I think this is the first gun I've bought in six months. Yes, yes, I'd remember him. Would you describe him, Mr. Innes? I'll try. He was about my size, I'd say. A little heavier. He had what you'd call brown hair. He was tan. Is he English or American? He was English as I am. Well, thank you, Mr. Enders. It's possible you may be called upon for identification. Happy to oblige, Inspector. Uh, but uh, what about the money? I paid four pounds for that pistol.
3: In view of Felice's foreign statement, Inspector Trabert was forced to make an arrest... The last time we returned
2: to the Murphy residence. And I shall have to remind you that anything you say may be held in evidence against you. You mean that you're arresting is for
3: Hannibal's murder? There's
2: nothing else I can do, sir. I have a statement given under oath to the effect that you and the deceased left this house together the night of the murder.
3: That's not true.
2: That the sound of a shot was heard and that you were then seen returning to this house alone. That isn't true.
3: There's not one word of truth in it. I didn't leave the house with him. Can you prove that, Mr. Murphy? Why, Alice, you know I didn't leave, don't you?
6: Of course he didn't.
3: Can you prove it, Mrs. Murphy? I understood you to say you were in your room, that you went to sleep immediately and heard nothing.
2: My daughter made that statement, didn't she? Under oath and before witnesses. But she lied.
6: I told you she would, Mr. Dollar. She'd do anything to hurt me. You've got to believe that.
2: Alice, wait.
3: What did she say was my reason for killing my own brother?
2: Because of your love for his wife.
6: Oh, she's insane, How can you believe these things? You're men of intelligence. We're
3: men who are used to working with evidence. A sworn statement is admissible evidence unless it can be proved false. Neither one of you seems to be able to do that. Paul. I don't think we'd better say any more until we've legal counsel.
6: No, I won't let her do this to me. We can't, Paul. I think he killed him. She hated him. She's the only one in the house that had reason to kill him. It's no
2: good, Alice. What are you going to do with this, Inspector? I shall have to take you to jail. Sorry. Oh, you can't.
3: Will you give us a few minutes to get ready? Of
2: course.
3: Come on, Alice. (laughs) Go get your things. Everything will be all right. What do you think, Inspector?
2: To be quite honest, I'm not sure, but I know my duty as a policeman. The strength of that statement and their innocence or guilt are up to the courts to
3: decide. Less formally, though, it's a pretty frightening thing to think of. If that girl and her mental frame of mind... Could suddenly decide that she was a witness, make a sworn statement, and bring all this down on two innocent people.
2: Yes, I know, but the fact remains that they have absolutely nothing to say in their own defense. I've got to arrest them.
3: The widow and Paul Murphy were taken in, and I couldn't get out of my mind the strength of the case against them as far as the crown went. A strength built on the fact that there was no evidence and were no witnesses to refute Felice's statement. I suppose that as far as the insurance angle went, my job was done. But after I left Inspector Trabert, I went to the hospital to see the girl again.
6: Hello, Mr. Dollar.
3: How are you feeling?
6: I feel awfully lonely. They rest Mother and Paul. Yeah. Then I'm all alone. She'll never want me back now. No matter what happens. She never wanted me anyway. I'm glad I did it.
3: If you told the truth, you have nothing to worry about. What
6: do you mean, I have nothing to worry about? I
3: mean, if you told the truth, you did the right thing. But if you didn't, you've done one of the worst things anyone could do.
6: Of course I told the truth. You believe me, don't you?
3: That doesn't make any difference. Inspector did.
6: But you do, don't you? You don't think I was lying, do you? I hope not. You think I could make it all up? You think I could do a thing like that? I hope not. I couldn't. I know what you're thinking. I told you how I hated her and how I hated him. But I could never say the things I said if they weren't true. I could never do a thing like that.
3: How did you happen to see the two men leave the house together? You never really explained that.
6: I was looking out the window. I
3: thought you were in bed. Not then. You saw them leave, then went to bed, then you heard the shot, then you got up again and went back to the window? Yes,
6: that's right.
3: Was your light on when you saw them leave? I... No. But you turned it on when you heard the shot. Yes. Then you turned it off and got out of bed and went back to the window? Yes. And who did you see?
6: I told you, Paul. You
3: were sure it was Paul? Yes, I was sure. Why were you sure?
6: I saw him.
3: Why were you sure it was Paul? Why didn't you think it was your stepfather?
6: I knew it was Paul. Because I had a feeling that something was going to happen. Don't ask me any more questions.
3: better get use of them. The defense attorney is going to be asking the same kind if this gets into the courts. Well, I won't bother anymore, Felice. I guess you're tired.
6: You don't believe me, do you?
3: I told you, it doesn't make any difference. As I mentioned, the matter was out of my hands by that time, and I was sort of 50-50 on believing the girl. I made my plane reservations on my way back to the hotel, but when I asked for my key, I got instead a message to phone Inspector Traver. When I did, he told me, A, that the twenty-five caliber Webley from the shop... It was the murder gun, and B, that some prints on it a check to a known criminal who had confessed the shooting. He asked me if I wanted a over.
2: It's an incredible turn of events. Raises perfect hob with the girl's statement in any case we thought to build from it. Yet on the other hand... Oh, here. I should like to have you meet Mr. Roy Church... What are you doing
3: back, copper? You beat it out of me, so now you've got it. You dropped quite a bombshell into this, Mr. Church.
2: Tell Mr. Dollar in your own words how you came to kill Mr. Murphy. Why should I?
3: You've told him, haven't you?
2: No, I doubted He would believe me.
3: I'd like to hear, Church. His ruddy brother said he was going to pay me to do it. Paul Murphy? Yes. Promised me 500 pounds, he did. Paid me 100, and I waited two blinking weeks on that clip for his brother to take his walk. Then I got Welsh by the dirty beggar. Boy, I had to sell the pistol.
2: Tell him why, Mr. Church. I was supposed to take this here Murphy's wallet to make it look like robbery, but he fell over the cliff when I shot him and I couldn't reach him. That'll be all, Mr. Church. Thank you very much. Think nothing of it. Well, Mr. Dollar? Well,
3: this means there is no word of truth in that signed statement except that maybe she heard the shot. She didn't see the men leave the house or Paul come back. She didn't know anything.
2: Yes, a rather spiteful statement, but fortunately true in content. They did have the man killed. I don't know what to do about that girl. What would you do? Well, luckily, I can
3: leave the whole mess in your hands, Inspector. But I wish you'd come up and work a nice, simple Hartford murder with me sometime. Do you good? <laughs> Expense account item two, same as item one, transportation back to Hartford. Item three, miscellaneous expenses, $204.80. Expense account total, $734.40. Remarks? I can't help wondering what would have happened if Felice's sworn statement had been entirely false and the widow and Paul entirely innocent. I wonder if they would have been hanged anyway. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen starring in the Paramount Pictures Technicolor production Silver City. Featured in tonight's cast were Eric Snowden, Virginia Gregg, Jeanette Nolan, Ben Wright, Charles Davis, and Dan O'Hurley. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by
2: Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time
3: when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: Stay tuned for The Bickersons, next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for The Bickersons, a family radio comedy sketch series that starred the show's married protagonists, portrayed by Don Amici and Francis Langford, who spent nearly all their time in relentless verbal war. The show typically opened with Langford singing a big band-style arrangement before Amici and Langford would slip into routine comedy, often aided by co-star Danny Thomas, in routines that often expressed Amici's frustration that Thomas was more interested in modern technology and discoveries than in women. Tonight's show is entitled, John's Business Trip. <laughs> From Hollywood, it's dream time.
7: and gentlemen, the makers of Dream Shampoo are pleased to present the 12th in a series of new programs produced by Carlton Alsop and starring Don Amici. Blanche,
8: let me sleep, will you? Danny Thomas. Progress. You call this progress? Kaiser is driving Fraser on, on a motorcycle. And our
7: glamorous dream girl, Frances Langford, who sings...
9: The moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. The stars belong to everyone. They there for you and me. The flowers in spring, the robins that sing, the sunbeams that shine, they're yours, they're mine. Love can come to everyone. let
7: your host for the evening, Don Amici.
10: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening. Francis, before you get away, I want to tell you that I thought your song was delightful, and Toby, your commercial was stimulating, and Carmen, your music was magnificent. Boy, you feel great tonight, don't you? Oh, I certainly do, Carmen. Do you realize that it's March, the month that heralds Spring? Oh, I just love
5: March. Beautiful March. Me too. In fact, I'm looking forward to every month this year,
1: romantic April, delightful May, enchanting June, exotic July.
10: Carmen, you've got the soul of a poet.
1: No, I've got an Esquire calendar. (laughs)
11: Well,
10: I hope you and your calendar are very happy together. But as for me, I have spring fever. Uh, Francis. Yes, Don? I'd like to drop over to your house about 8.30 tonight. I'll put the top down in my convertible and... and oh, uh,
11: I'm so sorry, Don, but I sort of half promised Danny Thomas I'd keep him company while he's experimenting with his new chemistry set. Oh,
10: Francis, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? He won't pay any attention to you. He's had his eye glued to that microscope for three days now.
11: Three days?
10: Yes, that poor soul is trying to outstare a germ. <laughs> he hasn't got an ounce of romance in his body.
11: Oh, I'm sure he has, Don. Did you ever notice his soulful round eyes...
10: Did you ever see square ones? (laughs) Why, as far as he's concerned, spring is just... Oh, there he is now. The germ must have won.
11: Danny! Danny Thomas! (laughs) Hello, everybody. Isn't it wonderful, Danny?
8: What's wonderful?
11: Spring will soon be here.
10: It will? Yeah, can't you feel it? Can't you feel those soft, balmy breezes? Does something to a man, eh, Danny? Oh, I know just what you mean, Don. You do? Yeah,
8: it makes you want to get out the old kite and fly the tail of it, boy.
4: <laughs>
10: Say, uh, uh, Danny, have you have you ever thought about girls? Oh, girls! They fascinate
8: me. Every time I see them walking down the street in their dainty open-toed shoes, sure, I I think about them a lot.
11: What do you think about them, Danny?
8: Won't their toes ever get cold?
4: <laughs>
10: <laughs> Look, Danny, when a fellow's your age, he doesn't spend all his evenings reading Popular Mechanics or building a speckled bird's egg collection. Doesn't romance mean anything to you? Of course
8: it does, Don. If I may quote from the classics, in the words of the immortal Hildegard.
5: She's wonderful, Hildegard. I should only wear
8: my nose the way she wears her hair. Je vous aime beaucoup. Toujours le mot, mon petit chéri.
11: Oh, that's beautiful, Danny. What does it mean?
10: If I knew, wouldn't I say it in English? (laughs) You see, what did I tell you, Francis? Danny, you ought to get yourself a girl. Ah, love is only for women. I've heard of a few men who are interested in it, too. But I'm afraid there'll never be any romance in your life.
8: I guess you're right, Don. I'm kind of like parsley on a piece of fish. I look all right, but nobody wants me.
4: (laughs) Oh, I
11: wouldn't say that, Danny. I'm sure there must be somebody.
8: Well, yesterday I did have kind of a date with the girl next door. We went to the movies, and the three of us had a great time. The three of you? Yeah, me and my girl and the fella I brought along for her. You brought a fella along for your girl? Yeah, she makes me. She's boy crazy.
10: (laughs) Obviously.
8: He wasn't much of a fella, though. A little on the dumb side. The dumb side? Yeah, what a dope. He spent 75 cents to see a movie and waste the whole evening hugging and kissing my girl.
4: (laughs) Your girl?
10: That sounds a bit like an overstatement. Oh,
8: no, it isn't, Don. She told me that her heart belongs to me. She did? It's just that the rest of her likes to go out with other fellas.
10: <laughs> Danny, maybe you better stick to your chemistry set. What do you mean? Oh, you're not with it. You're not on the ball. In everyday life, you're just not making any progress.
8: Progress? Hm. You know why I'm not making any progress? Because I don't want to. Do you think this age of speed and tempo is good for you? Well, frankly, I never gave it much thought. Um, give it some thought, Don progress. Have you seen the new 1948 cars? No,
10: but I'd like to buy one. I can't afford a used car. (laughs) I'm serious about this.
8: Things are moving too fast. You know, they say the two biggest features on the new cars are air brakes and unbreakable windshields. Now you can speed up to 200 miles an hour and stop on a dime. Then you press a special button and a putty knife scrapes you off the windshield.
4: (laughs) that's
8: a handy gadget. Well, don't take it so lightly, Don. I mean, there's such a thing as too much progress. For instance, one of man's most priceless privileges, sitting down to dinner with his family, uh, simple little pleasure like that is in jeopardy. Why, the other day, my doctor showed me the latest invention in medical science. It's a little pill. Contains the equivalent of an entire meal. Soup, salad, steak, baked potato, choice of three vegetables, a cup of (laughs) coffee and a big piece of apple pie a la mode, and two toothpicks.
4: (laughs) Ah,
10: you're joking. No,
8: I'm not. I tried one, but a horrible thing happened. When I took the pill, it was upside down.
10: Well, what's so horrible about that? I ate the dessert first. What happened to the toothpicks? Don't be such a wise guy, will really. you? Oh, now, wait a minute, Danny. Progress has more good features than bad ones. Have you read about the new stockings for women guaranteed not to get runs? They're made out of cold wood, and rubber.
8: So what? Instead of runs, they'll get clinkers, splinters, and blowouts.
4: <laughs> Inventions, inventions, innovations.
8: Well, years ago, when a woman wanted to go to sleep, she simply put on a nightgown and went to bed. The day before she gets into bed, she puts on hair crimpers, wrinkle erasers, dimple depressors, ear flatness, nose straightness. Uh, if a man wants to kiss his wife goodnight, he has to battle his
10: way through $12 worth
8: of hardware. <laughs>
10: You know, Danny, you got me convinced. Let's both go back and play with your chemistry set.
8: Now you're talking sense, Don. <laughs> Progress is all right, but it has to be harnessed. Now, look, I'd like to show you my new formula. It'll revolutionize present-day living.
10: What is it? A beverage. Uh, what's it made of? Shh. Liquid.
4: <laughs> mm,
10: a liquid beverage. Yeah, I'll tell you about it.
8: Mm. Now, with study and forethought... And research and more thought I have discovered something new My magic elixir Is the wonderful fixer Of anything that's wrong with you I'll bottle it and I'll attain fame The whole world will honor my name Drink Thomas Cola and you'll whistle at the girls once more. If you're half alive, and you're 95, Thomas Cola makes you feel like 94. Mm Thomas Cola, it has sparkle, and it's cool and keen. I can't rave enough, you will love the stuff, unless you don't like the taste of kerosene. Now if you're looking gone and you're feeling duller you really have no excuse thomas cola will give your cheeks some color purple blue and chartreuse
4: (laughs) drink
8: thomas cola fill your glass and take a healthy slug. it's a real surprise makes your spirit rise while the rest of you just lies there on the rug
7: Listen to testimonials from all over the world. From Milan, Italy, we hear from Mr. Antonio Garibaldi Tommaso.
8: Well, I tell you. (laughs) I first tried Thomas Cola when I was 20 years old. And today, 10 years later, I'm very happy to say I am now 30 years old.
9: (laughs) Thomas
4: Cola.
8: that's it for me. That's why I am as happy as it can be. I drink a wine until my top as she blows. And with the Thomas Cola, I always wash my clothes.
4: <laughs> hey. Thomas Cola. And now
8: we hear from the
7: Earl of Thomas, one of the leading literary lights of England being interviewed.
6: My lord, if you had your choice, would you select wine or Thomas Cola?
8: Wine? Or Thomas Cola, you say? Well, milady, wine when aged in casks of choice elk pervades my spirit like exotic incense. A thousand violins throb in my head. I am wafted in fleecy clouds to the seventh heaven above the seventh heaven. (laughs) I respond to its delicacy of flavor with the infinite me that has existed throughout the eternities. Whereas milady Thomas Cola Yes? Yes? Thomas Cola makes me back.
4: <laughs> and now,
8: in Lower Africa, let's listen to
7: Mr. Thomas himself addressing a group of natives.
8: Ogla, Ugwa Wambo, Bola, Zango, Bango, Thomas Cola. Tanza Congo, Lava Wa'o, Nickelback, Bacca, Manda Ba
4: Tons <laughs> is
9: <laughs> 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 <speaking>
7: Francis Langford with a special arrangement of sonata by Carmen Dragon and the
4: orchestra. <laughs> sonata.
7: Lankford. And now, as we promised you, Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas' as brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. <laughs> the Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson wrestles the bedclothes in sympathetic agony as poor husband John, victim of a rare type of insomnia which manifests itself in alternate periods of coma and narcolepsy, reaches the crisis during an acute stage of the ailment. listen
4: <laughs> oh dear,
11: now he's scaring himself to death) <laughs> John, John,
4: mm-hmm.
11: are you in pain? Are you in pain, Blanche? <laughs> What's the matter with you?
10: What's the matter, Blanche?
11: Stop repeating everything I say like a parrot. Why do you repeat everything? Hmm? Why do you repeat everything?
10: You just said that.
11: <laughs> I know I did.
10: Why do you repeat everything? Keep repeating everything like a parrot. It's
11: very funny. I'll bet you're a riot with those broken-down friends of yours. I never want them in this house again.
10: None of my friends have ever been in this house.
11: Why not? Are you ashamed of me? I'm not ashamed of you. Then why don't you invite them here? Because they're a bunch of bums.
10: They're not bums.
11: When we got married, I gave up all my girlfriends. Why don't you do it?
10: Okay, I'll give up all your girlfriends.
11: (laughs) I wish we could meet some nice people. You should belong to a lodge or something. Why don't you join the Elks, John?
10: I'll join next week.
11: You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you join now? What? Go on, get up and join the
4: Elks.
11: (laughs) Grace,
10: are you out of your mind? It must be three o'clock in the morning.
11: It's only half past two.
10: Oh, why don't you let me sleep? You know I have to get up early.
11: I won't let you sleep. Because if you sleep, you'll snore. Then you'll wake me, and I'll wake you, and we'll argue, and I won't get any sleep.
10: I promise I won't snore.
11: You always snore. Week in, week out. On Monday you snore, Tuesday you snore, Wednesday you snore, Thursday you snore, Friday you snore, Saturday you snore. So what do you do tonight?
9: Oh, what's the use?
4: He's having
11: that dream again.
9: John,
4: John,
11: you said you wouldn't snore. Yes, dear. Turn over on your side.
10: Yes, dear. Yes, dear. What'd you say, Blanche?
11: I didn't say anything. That was an automobile backfiring. Oh. John.
10: Hmm?
11: Close the window. It's cold outside.
10: If I close the window, will it be warmer outside?
11: Oh, get up and close it. I'm freezing to death.
10: Put a pan under it. I'll have the plumber in the morning. <laughs>
11: John, I have indigestion. I've never been so sick in all my life.
10: All right, Blanche. I'm awake. Now, what's the matter with you?
11: I don't feel good, John. Call the doctor.
10: You don't need the doctor. I'll handle it. Where does it hurt you?
11: Right here, in the pit of my stomach. It's a shooting pain, and it comes about every five minutes.
10: How long does it last?
11: At least a quarter of an hour.
10: How can it last a quarter of an hour if it comes every five minutes?
11: (laughs) Don't yell at me. I'm sick. If I say the pain lasts a quarter of an hour, then it lasts a quarter of an hour. Okay. I think it's that dinner we ate at the Goose Piece. The fish disagreed with me.
10: It wouldn't dare.
11: I never want to eat there again. Every mouthful was poisoned. And the portions were so small.
10: Why, you ate like you were condemned.
11: Well, you have to be polite when you go to dinner. I wish we hadn't eaten anything. I'm suffering, so call the doctor. Oh,
10: now, don't get hysterical. It's just indigestion. I know how to treat it. I'll fix you some hot ginger ale and oatmeal.
11: <laughs> hot ginger ale?
10: Make a new man of you.
11: John Bickerson, I don't want any of your insane remedies. you treat me for indigestion, and I'll probably die of liver trouble.
10: Listen, if I treat you for indigestion, you'll die of indigestion.
11: <laughs>
10: now, do you want me to help you or not?
11: Not if you're going to yell at me like that. You wouldn't yell at Gloria Gooseby if she got sick. Now,
10: don't start with Gloria Gooseby.
11: I saw you two at the dinner table playing footsies. Footsies. You were so flustered when she smirked at you, you couldn't eat. I was not flustered. Then why did you put gravy on your ice cream? I always put gravy on
4: my ice cream. I love
10: gravy on anything and you know it.
11: A likely story. And the gown that woman was wearing, she ought to be arrested. I think she purposely swallowed that fishbone so you could stroke her
9: back.
10: I didn't stroke her back, I patted it. And I'd have done that if she hadn't swallowed the fish bone.
11: I mean, if she hadn't been wearing that gown. I don't know how Leo stands for it. He's such a wonderful man, and Gloria's always playing stick around him just to get sympathy. Uh... A lot you care what happens to me. Every time Gloria gets a headache, Leo hugs and kisses her and fawns over. Why don't you do that?
10: I'm never there when she has a headache. <laughs>
11: I mean, why don't you fuss over me?
10: Now, listen, Blanche, you're not sick and you know it.
11: Well, I'm depressed. You're going out of town tomorrow and I'll be so lonesome I'll die. I'm only going overnight. I'll be back on Tuesday. If you cared for me, you wouldn't leave
10: me. I'm not leaving you. I have to go on business and I won't be gone over 24 hours.
11: Suppose a burglar breaks in the house and finds me.
10: It'll serve him right. <laughs> Now, let me sleep. Please, Blanche, I have to make an early train.
11: We've never been separated before. I'm afraid absence will conquer your love.
10: Oh, no. The longer I'm away from you, the better I'll like you.
11: I don't like the way that sounded.
10: Well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do?
11: Say, absence makes the heart grow fonder.
10: Absence makes the heart grow fonder.
11: That's the most stupid saying in the world. What? (laughs) Look at what happened to Mel Shaw. He left his wife alone for two weeks, and now he's the unhappiest man alive. And you know why?
10: She was still there when he came home.
11: (laughs) She was not. Louise got lonesome, and she ran off with the upholsterer. When Mal came home and found out what happened, he went right out and got so drunk, they had to take him to a sanitarium.
10: Why, he ought to be ashamed of himself. Why? A man should wait at least a week before celebrating.
11: (laughs) Good night. Don't be so smart. You might come home and find things changed, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Go on. Stay away from home for a month. Stay away for a year. See if I care.
10: I'm only going for one day.
11: Run all over the country. Go to Europe. Never let me know where you are. Just keep me sitting here wondering whether you're alive or dead. Blanche! Why don't you write to me, John?
4: <laughs>
10: now listen to me, Blanche. You have only one object in mind, and that is to keep me awake.
11: I just want you to tell me you love me.
10: I love you. Now are you satisfied?
11: How much do you love me?
10: How much do you need? <laughs>
11: I saw the most stunning hat, John If I get it, I'm sure I won't feel so
10: depressed $45 for a hat That's a fine cure for depression That'll start one
11: Women need those things to cheer them up Look at Clara, my oldest sister Every time she's in the dump, she buys a dress
10: I figured that's where she bought her clothes
9: (laughs) I'm not giving you
11: $45 for any hat
10: And that's final Now let me sleep
11: Oh, I hate you How my mother begged me not to marry you. She pleaded with me not to marry you.
0: Your
10: mother told you not to marry me?
11: Yes, she did.
10: Dear heaven, how I misjudged that woman.
11: (laughs) Oh, you'll be sorry for this, John Biggerson. You just wait and see.
10: Please, Blanche, I'm so tired and I have to make a seven o'clock train. That means I have to get up before six.
11: Why do you need so much time?
10: Well, I have to pack my suitcase, don't I?
11: You haven't got a suitcase.
10: Oh, I have to. I bought a brand new one yesterday. It's in the closet. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I put it there last night.
11: I took it out this morning. What? Amos borrowed it. Oh, Blanche, he didn't! You didn't let that weasel take my brand new suitcase. I've never even used it. Don't scream so. You can carry your stuff in a paper bag. (laughs) Paper
10: bag? My suits will get all wrinkled.
11: No, they won't. Amos borrowed them, too. (laughs) Now,
10: look,
4: Blanche.
11: I see no reason for you to carry on like this, John. Blanche. Amos is going on a sailing trip with some very important businessmen, and he won't hurt your silly old suitcase. Blanche. He has to have something to bring the fish home in. (laughs)
10: <laughs> He's gonna carry fish in my suitcase, and I have to put my clothes in a gunny sack.
11: Well, stay home then. I can't stay home! If you leave me here alone in this horrid
9: house, tomorrow I'll. All like... right,
10: all right, all right. I'll call Amos. I'll have him come over and stay here till I get back. Put the lights on. Oh. Honest branch, if I don't go on this trip tomorrow, I'm liable to lose my job. Hello! Amos, this is John.
4: Hi,
8: Jacko, what's new?
10: Say, I want to ask a little favor, Amos. I have to go out of town tomorrow, and Blanche is afraid to stay here alone. Could you come over and spend the night?
8: What's in it for me?
10: What a chiseler.
8: (laughs) Is it worth a double sawbuck, Jocko?
10: Okay, $20.
8: And all the bourbon I can drink?
10: All the bourbon you can drink.
8: And can I bring a couple of friends over?
10: Bring some friends.
8: Take a note. You won't back out, Jocko.
10: I give you my word of honor.
8: Okay, I'll be over tomorrow.
10: Uh, Wait, Amos. When you come over, uh, uh, you might bring my new suitcase with you.
8: I might bring it, but I won't. (laughs) Because I already hacked it Good
10: night, Jacko Ooh, how I hate that man see what you make me go through Just because you pretend you're scared to be alone
11: Aren't you going to be alone? What? Mother's coming over to stay for the rest of the year Good night, John
10: Uh Oh,
7: This is Don Amici wishing you good days, good nights And good luck until we meet again Listen next Sunday for another pleasant half hour with Don Amici, Danny Thomas, Francis Langford, Carmen Dragon, and his orchestra. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Shadow, followed by Martin and Lewis. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support.